and scholars. Want to hear more? Follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, or check out slutsandscholars.com. This episode is sponsored by Maud, a company that offers a less gendered and updated sexual experience. They are inclusive, unisex, and care a lot about the quality of their products, which range from condoms to vibrators and organic lube. Maud is offering 15% off of their products to you listeners. Go to getmod.com, G-E-T-M-A-U-D-E, Com and enter the promo code S&S, that's S-A-N-D-S, as in sluts and scholars, to get a discount on these amazing products. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta. And I'm Simone. And you did not say where we talk smart and fuck smart. I know, I wanted you and to say it. Because our moms are here. Our moms are here in the studio. Well, weirdly, I'm in Los Angeles with my mom in one studio. And I am in New York with my mom in not a studio, but an apartment. Um, you guys can say hi. You know. Hi. Hi, we're the moms. So my mom is Jamie. <laughs> yeah. uh, and my mom is Kemi. And so, um, dear listeners, you'll have to bear with us. This is our first time doing this bi-coastal, queer coastal um, recording because now I'm at law school in New York and will be for the foreseeable future. So we're, we're as always, we're working out the kinks. Yeah, so kinks. kinky. Oh, we like working out the kinks together. <laughs> so we really were so excited. We wanted to bring uh, our moms together because as Simone and I have talked, we've just really seen that both of us feel really confident with our sexualities and our bodies and ourselves. And we were like, where did this come from? Do you think it's how we were raised? Is it from our parents? Were we just born this way? So we wanted to bring our parents in and have a conversation about sex with our moms. Let's talk about sex. Well, can I just get technical for a minute? I think it's great that we're having this on Labor Day. Yeah, <laughs> And I bet Jamie will agree. That's a very, that's a very good point, Cammy. Thank you. Maybe yes. that's a good place because to start. that's where it started. Yes. Yes. Good, good memories. Good memories. Our births. Mom, Mom, can you talk about the day that I was born? A little bit, if you like. Yeah. It wasn't very romantic. <laughs> Or fun for anyone, but <laughs> maybe you. <laughs> but just really in, in brief, um, we had gone to grandma's house, well, your grandma's house for dinner the evening before. And I came home and I was very tired and was sleeping very comfortably in a super soft, cozy bed. And in the middle of the night, I felt something warm trickling down my leg. And I wanted very much just to turn over and go back to sleep because I was so tired. <laughs> But something in my mind said, ding, ding, ding. I think that you need to do something about that. So I got up and I said to, to dad, I think we need to go to the hospital. And we did. And sure enough, the water was broken. And uh, after that, it was quite a few hours and a bunch of Pitocin and, and other things before you came barreling out like a basketball when you felt like it. And uh, dad stayed with you and, and my main concern, talking about having great Switching babies. body image. Well, he was concerned. He stayed with you the whole time. And the first thing I asked after ascertaining that you, you know, looked pretty healthy and happy, I said, could someone please take me to a scale? And could I go to the track, please, now and walk around while dad stayed with you? I wanted to see because they say you lose so much weight after the baby and, and shockingly it, it wasn't the case. And um, 
<laughs> anyway, so that was, but but you were warm and fuzzy and wonderful, and I wasn't planning to nurse you, but when I had you in my arms, this it was at Cedar Sinai, and this lovely little candy striper came in and told me that I should nurse you, and I said, "Oh my goodness, I could never do that. You know, that's weird." And I'd never seen a baby being nursed or anything like that. I'd never been around children and was terrified of it. And she said, "No, no, just just give it a try." And so. I gave it a try and you latched on and loved it. And that was the best thing that we ever did. And I was so grateful for that. And candy then I striper. breastfed till I was four. How long did you nurse for? <laughs> till she was four. <laughs> I was worried you weren't to divulge that. So I felt Yeah, I would have gone longer, but my my father passed and it was just a, a difficult time. But it was great because we always had that closeness. And even then from a young age though, her personality really came out. And whenever she would want to nurse, she would point at the boob. She was a very good pointer from a young age. And so she would just point, point, point. And uh, that's how, how it all started. Oh my God. Okay, now let's talk about me now. Um, did, I, did I suck your titty for four years? Simone's birth was very unromantic. Uh, Simone was a scheduled birth, a scheduled cesarean. It was on my calendar. Oh. And we lived in New Jersey at the time. And as we were driving into New York before dawn, I noticed that there were these banners over the Lincoln Tunnel saying, happy birthday, Lincoln Tunnel. <laughs> so Simone shares a birthday. With the Lincoln Tunnel. <laughs> now, you may you could say, you could say we're tunnel buddies. Um, look at that similarity, that simile, that metaphor, that image, as you wish. But... Um, <laughs> It's so very... the car going into the tunnel, that was, um, I guess that was Simone's beginning. Was I planned? Did you yes. do like special sex to have me? Well, when I was serious about conceiving, I did assistance to, I, I, did, I did sperm assistance. <laughs> What's sperm assistance? It's when you lie on your bed and you put your legs up against the wall. Oh, yeah. 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 No, yeah. I did that too. Sure standing on your head and having Peter, Peter. You know, a pillow underneath your hips and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. It's important. It's important to get those know. swimmers I don't swimming. know if that's a real, if that's a right real thing, though. I, was that just like an old wives' tale? No, they say that it helps. No, it people helps. still do that. Yeah. Look, gravity is not an old wives' tale. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it were. I wish it were. I wish it were. Well, no, because in my research, <laughs> I've read that sperm is strong enough to swim anti gravity. But I don't know. Oh, really? I don't know. Well, yeah, but just because it's strong enough to go anti gravity doesn't mean that if you're going with gravity, it's going bad, not going better. I feel like our, our moms are also really smart and scholarly, so we could get, like, stuck on this trajectory of, like, <laughs> gravity for a long yeah, time. Yeah, and, you know, we're going to have those listeners that are comment, that, that's going to comment, like, I can't believe you're talking about such pseudoscience. I thought you were scholars. <laughs> People get very mad sometimes when we use, like, unofficial statistics. But yeah, I'll like when we talked about holistic I medicine. Too, I felt very thin after giving birth. And it was such a great feeling to to not have that basketball in my stomach. And I was convinced I was svelte. And I remember asking to weigh myself. <laughs> and my OB said, well, you got 10 pounds at least in each of those legs. <laughs> and I didn't go weigh myself. But it's true. It doesn't 
all come off immediately. Right. But that was sort but of the prize that is so for interesting after childbirth. That, that was your instinct. Exactly. Weighing yourself. Wow. Yeah. 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 No, it's horrible. We okay. should be concerned so, about much more important things. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Jamie. Like, You're absolutely right. Like banging. So let's carry on. A lot of times we talk about like children being sexual and parents freaking out about it and not really knowing how to handle it, which seems kind of normal because we don't really think of children as sexual typically, which is something that Nicoletta and I believe we should change. And But I'm curious if you remember the first time that we kind of engaged our sexuality or you saw us doing sexual things and how you approached it. Take it away, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> well, from a very young age, Nicoletta was definitely interested in boys and kissing and sexual things or things that were sexual that she didn't realize were. She had a boyfriend named Jeremy, actually, in preschool and <laughs> kindergarten. And they used to sneak off at school to <laughs> private places to kiss and pet and had playdates together. <laughs> and so that was at, what, wow. like five years old, four or five. And then for a while, after the twins were born, we lived at my father's across the street from a large popular park. And I recall that ah. she would dress up in her cool outfit with a little sports bra that she would stuff with tissue paper to walk around the baseball field where the boys' little league teams would be playing and practicing to try to meet young candidates. And so that Wait, was... Wait, hold on. Sorry to interrupt, Jamie. Um, is this the same park of the famous exercising poll of our very first episode in the great master debaters well it's it's the house exactly the same house and so i was going to share yes. that oh those polls around that time she also started climbing up this tall lamp pole that she had in her room across the street from the park must have been something in the air exercise. and she would slide up and down it climb up and slide down over and over did you know what i was doing well, when your dad asked why, you explained that it felt good. So we just let it be and left it at that. And after my own experiences in my youth with a pillow feeling good, I sort of had an idea of what I thought you were doing and didn't want to make a big deal about it. So we just let you do your very innocent. And you love exercise. So you probably climbing. were like, that's great. Yeah, She's that's great. She's working out at least. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. How about you, Cammie? Like what that? did you notice? Oh boy. Well, I remember Simone was just always very out there with her body and bodily functions and <laughs> and very aware of her physical self. I must have been maybe I was in some kind of denial because other people commented to me on Simone's sexuality at a very young age. Um, a therapist of mine, in fact, whom, to whom Simone went once or twice, told me that she felt Simone was very sexual. You've talked about the yoga instructor experience. I know when he, my yoga teacher, gave Simone a, a lesson or Simone was in one of my lessons and commented to me on the seven-year-old and how she had so much sexual energy in her stomach. <laughs> sexual tension <laughs> in her stomach. And we kind of laughed that off and dismissed it and thought it was weird. Uh, yeah, but... but Probably but, right. Hello, Yvonne. But um, I do remember a pretty blatant situation 
when Simone's older sister, we, the word masturbation came up in the kitchen. And it was... At what a, age? I think you must have been seven. Okay. Older. So but, already in France. Already in France. Yeah, this was in France. And um, I remember the older sister acting kind of dumb around that word and kind of in a naivete that didn't seem quite sincere, but Simone was going to set her straight (laughs) (laughs) and said, oh, come on, you know, like with a pillow or something, (laughs) you know what you do. (laughs) Jamie, you and I have a lot in common. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Go pillow girls. And it was, it was just such a, hello, <laughs> you know what you mean with pillow. So I also discovered the shower at a very young age. Like I would use the shower head to masturbate. Did you know? I didn't know. I, I would take know. really long showers. That I knew, but I thought it was just all this long hair. <laughs> Wait, I have a similar. The showers Mom, and- did you know that all those sharper image things that you got me, those were like my, my first probably conscious masturbatory experiences. No, which which things? You used to get me, because I was a competitive horse rider, <laughs> so you would get oh. me all those quote-unquote back massagers. Yes. And, um, I, did you know I was doing that? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. <laughs> well, at least I'm glad if you were using them for something, okay. they didn't go to waste. Yeah, they're very expensive. <laughs> I mean, my, yeah. my question for... It's, appliances are fun. <laughs> my question for both of you is like... How did you not feel uncomfortable? Or maybe you did feel uncomfortable when you saw us doing this or talking about this. Like, were you taught a similar way when you were young? Or did you just have an instinct, you know, that it was okay? Cammie, how did you feel? Like, how did you know to respond in certain ways? Like, what was your sex ed like? Was it similar and positive? Or like, did you just naturally know not to make a shameful thing about it? Um, My own sex ed was very much home-centered. We did not have it in school. Our health classes were about how Coca-Cola was bad for your teeth. And we didn't learn anything about reproduction or anything ever. So all my sex education came from my mom. And while I know she tried to include the passion and the love and the tenderness that goes with the act, it was all very complicated to me. And I didn't quite understand why anybody would do this. So the whole pleasure point was lost on me. And I was determined that I would not let that happen when I told my kids about this world. Like, I knew sex existed from a very young age. I know that definitely at, like, six, I knew sex existed. But I think, I don't know if you focused necessarily too much on the pleasure, but I won. 100% 100% thought you had to cut a hole until I was like 10. For the vagina. <laughs> like I was very, like I was very, very knowledgeable about sex and what it entailed and how you did it, and that there was a penis that went in the vagina, but I thought you had to cut your vagina. So weird. No, <laughs> isn't that weird? So weird. I only found out I had a vagina. I remember once I was like in the bathtub and there was like some toy. And I remember like, I didn't even, I wasn't like trying to stick it in or anything, but I like somehow slid and like it went inside me. And I was like, what? I already have a hole? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what about you, uh, mom? What was your early sex ed like? Well, for me, it was, it was very different. 
although I was a child of the 60s, basically, I grew up in my formative adolescent years, if you will, with my father. And he was very strict and conservative and uncomfortable with anything of a sexual nature. We would, for example, change the channel on the TV if there was kissing or something embarrassing, like a feminine hygiene commercial. And the only female input that I (laughs) had was from a girlfriend who was into sex. So for myself, I was a virgin until after my second year of college and only really learned about what little I knew of sex through this friend of mine and books and movies like and books like The Happy Hooker and Fear of Flying and things like that, <laughs> my own research, so to speak. So as a result, I really, <laughs> I wanted as open as possible a relationship with Nicoletta where we could talk about anything and she would trust me and feel comfortable and that there wouldn't be anything shameful or embarrassing about growing up and natural mm, things. Exactly. Exactly. How do you go about creating that space? I guess, as I said before, I I was rejoicing that she was comfortable, that she could share this with me, because I kind of knew what was going on all along with Simone's boyfriends. And um, when do you feel like I started sharing with you? Like, what did I share with you? She's giving me the side eye. Mom, <laughs> go okay. for it. When you told us, when you told us <laughs> that the extra large condoms weren't big enough. <laughs> <laughs> and where you're like, good for you, baby. I was like, sort of like, ouch. And sort of like, it was a lot of ouch. <laughs> and sort of like, Okay, this is going to be the standard by which you measure all others. <laughs> because she was young. I I think, it, honestly, in retrospect, I mean, I think he was a very tall person, like six foot six, and did have a very big penis. But it wasn't that the extra large condoms were too big. As a teenager, I... Too small, sorry. Yes, too small. Thanks for the correction, Mom. Um, as a teenager, I, I think I wasn't comfortable enough with the idea of Luke. And so our condoms would break. And so that's why I thought they were too small. And that's why I went on the pill. But I think in hindsight, um, I think if we had used lube, they probably wouldn't have broken as much. Like, cause like he's still just a human. <laughs> uh, I remember when Simone did decide to go on the pill and I was very happy that she told me about it. I was happy she told me, but I wasn't really happy with what she told me because I didn't feel it was protected sex, obviously, and that's what I wanted most at the time for her. Um, She did inform me that it didn't matter what I thought, (laughs) and she was going to do it anyway. (laughs) But I was grateful to have been informed. (laughs) It was a little bit different with you, um, Nicoletta, because I was happy for you to share with me and tell me things and felt very comfortable and I didn't mind kissing and making out and all those things. But the actual act of sexual intercourse, um, I wanted you to be old enough to understand somehow and appreciate and be safe and, and all those things. So I had instituted the virgin bonus, if you will. Um, Do you know about this, Simone? No. No, but... (laughs) 
I, continue. So, it's too late now, but <laughs> That was a, a $10,000 annual bonus for every year after 16 that she remained a virgin. And yeah, so I just felt there was so much pressure at the time in her school with people having sex and not necessarily wanting to or regretting it after or, you know, sort of keeping up with the Joneses, if you will. So I just really wanted her to feel psychologically prepared for it as well as also, you know, understand about safe sex and all those things. So I didn't forbid her, but if she were, and I totally believed her and I felt that Nicoletta never lied to me. So, and she did share when she felt it was time to be active or wanted to. But until then, she collected her virgin bonuses. <laughs> How many bonuses did you get, you one, old maid? One year. <laughs> no, you got two. We were 17. Oh, seven, well, 17. So. Yeah, 16, arriving at 16 and 17. So yeah. I would, so Jamie, I would, I would not even have qualified. You would have had to pay me. I would not even have qualified because I lost my virginity when I was fifteen. <laughs> well, well, then. but not. We don't say virginity yeah. on this show. We say uh, first intimate consensual, uh, consensual. Uh, sexual experience. Yes, yeah, so, I apologize for being well, such we, a dinosaur. I mean, I think we've just changed it because we <laughs> now know that sex can mean so many different things. Yeah. So it's interesting. I wonder why, Mom, you put the weight on penis and vagina penetration. Because obviously before that, I was doing other things with people. And that seemed yeah, fine. I want to talk about that. But yeah. like, what was it about that that seemed so... I just, I I think it's now I would probably see it differently, but at the time I was concerned about, you know, safe sex and uh, you going on the pill and letting me know um, and getting pregnant. I think that was that was a big issue also and and STDs and and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But also from it was encouraged by the therapist that we shared and she felt that a lot of times when children or young people have sex too early, often there are psychological consequences and things that happen that they're not necessarily ready to deal with. The boyfriend leaves them. They think they're going to be together forever, and he leaves after they have sex the first time. Hmm. You know, things like that that end up being difficult. So I I thought that I was helping to support you in, in that way. Rightly or wrongly, but you're right. That's so like finger penetration wouldn't have bothered me, or not that any of it would have bothered me, but that didn't qualify in my mind. So mm-hmm. I was thinking specifically penis, vagina, penetration, hymen breaking. Mm. That's so interesting that you bring it up because I know, and, and this isn't a, a, like kind of part of the next question. Because um, for me, all those experiences that you seemed like you were trying to kind of. Um, prevent Nicoletta from having these pain, these Protect painful psychological experiences when you have sex before you're ready. I definitely think I experienced those, but not because of penetrative sex, just because of sexual activity in general. And I think both Nicoletta and I started sexual activity at a very young age. My mother and I, we went, we saw the movie Eighth oh, Grade. So the other good. Day. I too. So good. And she makes a joke about, you know, when he asks if she gives head. She's like, yeah, all the time. Like, yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then she like looks it up. I, in the movie that I turned to my mom and I was like, I sucked dick at the end of eighth grade for the first time. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think also it's very much yeah, more yeah. in our culture now also that that's, that's the norm mm-hmm. in most 
uh, you know, middle schools these days too. But I think it does show this antiquated idea of virginity and how that is this much bigger thing and this better kind of sex than all the other stuff we were doing. What defines sex? Yeah, but Simone's saying like even with that other stuff, there were dangers and excitements. There were dangers, but there was also like deep pleasure. Like I think I was a very sexual, like young teen and I really enjoyed it. And I'm curious about how much either of you knew about that and how you felt about those things. Can I just back up and add something to Nicoletta's comment? Of course, about you can say whatever the you penetration, want. everything. I remember loving a picture in my mother's photo album of her years in college with one of her dear friends. They're all dressed in their pajamas, sitting around, and one of her dearest friends has a big sign that says virginity, a big issue over a little tissue. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and this was 1953, so I, I, there was something I loved about that as a kid, and it kind of touches on what you're saying now too. Is what's the big deal yeah. about that penetration? Looking back, I think I would see it very differently, um, Cami. But I, I think, Cami, I had also internalized some of my father's ideas, even though I For thought sure. I was very. Sure. open-minded sure. and and hip or and being, you know, a cool mom. Um, but yeah, I guess some of that stuck with me, if you will. Same. Yeah, it's tricky. But so all of the young stuff, like when we were going around giving blowjobs in eighth grade, like, <laughs> how, how did you know that stuff? And did you, how did you feel about it? No, I didn't. I just learned it. <laughs> <laughs> and are you uncomfortable now? <laughs> no. But I guess the advice I gave when you were in ninth grade was redundant and not... <laughs> oh, the never swallow? Yeah. <laughs> no, that was... You gave that advice before I ever gave a blowjob. Why did you I say... Was, why, yeah, why, why never, never swallow? swallow? See, my mom didn't swallow because she thought I had too many calories. But why were you saying never swallow? My biggest concern about Simone's sexual activity was disease and preg- obviously pregnancy also. But yeah. um, I knew that was taken care of with the pill, but that as I said before, did not protect against any of those nasties. Yeah, I didn't even know that. And my high school boyfriend wanted to be in an open relationship. Mm. He was very adamant that there was only few, there were so many ways to love people, but sadly only a few ways to show it. <laughs> he never actually fucked anyone else except once. He just wanted to I feel like he was free. Oh, yeah, it was very important to him to feel free. He was very anti-capitalistic. It was very hard for him to date me because I was so bourgeois. Right. And and I do remember Simone telling me um, that the, even though she was so bourgeois, they had, they had so much to talk about. And I said, well, if you're bourgeois, what is he? And Simone said, proletariat. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, never for- <laughs> I've never forgotten that. <laughs> I but do have one memory. Coming, you, I, I just have to say we're very uh, ahead of the times, I think, then, or just I was maybe naive or or uneducated, but I didn't realize till much later, in fact, your sex trivia night, um, about all the STDs being communicated through swallowing of of semen. Well, no, actually, just to correct that, the the phrase is swallow or spit, but don't let it sit. So you actually can't get... Swallow or spit. Yeah, so you can't really get the STI if you quickly swallow because the stomach and the throat acid eats it up. It's more about having it in the mouth where the mucous membranes are. That gets absorbed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Oh, and also, you're, you can frequently have lesions in your mouth as yes, well. Yes, Just that's from, like, biting. Yeah. 
Very interesting. So it's not like the consumption of the cum per se. <laughs> it's not the cum consumption. Well, I, I never really understood why it's such a big deal for so many men wanting women to swallow, like that's important to them. So I would kind of pretend uh, to swallow and then keep it in the side of my mouth and <laughs> run and, and spit it out. So I guess I was doing the wrong thing by keeping it in my <laughs> mouth. But I always thought I'd rather have a Snickers bar or, you know, something like that if I'm going to have those um, those calories. <laughs> How many calories are there? It's like 60 calories. Well, this was funny because recently I, I host a sex trivia night. Um, with this group I work with called the Sexual Health Alliance. And one of the questions was how many calories are in each, you know, ejaculation. Or a teaspoon of. And so the answer that we had was between like one and seven calories. And my mom got my so upset. My understanding was, she was like, no She was like, this is wrong. This is wrong. Like, we got this question right. I know that it's 100 because I would have been swallowing all these years if it was only <laughs> one calorie. Well, in the Happy Hooker, Ms. Hollander wrote, like I believe— <laughs> that it was, yeah, 60 to 100. And, you know, that seemed, that's that's enough for some good chocolate. Okay, listeners out there, uh, look it up and let us know what you find because I've definitely seen both it answered. I'm going to Google well, this And right also now. your your doctor who was there that evening said, but it's pure protein, but that wasn't the issue. It was the number <laughs> of calories, not whether it's protein. Are you tired of seeing an outdated and gendered approach to the human sexual experience? Mod products aim to make sex better for all people. Built on inclusivity, simplicity, and quality, Mod is a modern and unisex essentials brand that encourages a happy and healthy sex life. Mod offers products such as their ultra-thin latex condoms, which are free of harmful chemicals, fragrances, and spermicide, their Shine Organic Lubricant, made with moisturizing organic materials and pH balanced, and their Shine Silicone Lubricant. They also have an amazing silicone massager that can go anywhere, and the charge lasts for one and a half hours. I've heard it's pretty strong for a pocket vibe. This awesome sponsor is offering 15% off to you listeners. Go to getmod.com, G-E-T-M-A-U-D-E.com, and enter the promo code S&S, that's S-A-N-D-S, as in sluts and scholars, to get a discount on these awesome products. What I think is interesting, Mom, is you're talking... You talk a lot about um, body image and weight loss stuff, and I know that's been something that's important to you in your life. You were an aerobics instructor and worked in cosmetics. Um, how do you think I was confident with my body? Because we're, we're different in that way. I have no idea. All I can say is thank the Lord, because despite jumping up and down for years, as my dad would say, uh, teaching what we called aerobics back in the day and being a fitness fanatic and dieting and watching what I eat and using all my creams and doing all those things, I have never felt confident in my own skin or about my body. So I'm so glad that you do. And all I can say that I contributed was I worked with a therapist and still do for years on my own issues with that, but also more importantly on how to be a better mom so that I didn't pass down some of my own secure insecurities and neuroses about all of that to you and mm. how I could try to raise you in a better way so that you wouldn't go through what I did and could feel comfortable with yourself and accept yourself. So I'm just so glad if it worked out that way, but I think it was completely despite myself. I just wonder if it's like, are we born this way or is it nurture and, or is it a combination? I think I definitely, Simone, I don't know what you and Kimmy think, but 
I think it definitely seems like a combination because I feel like I was born with sort of a fuck you attitude. So like whenever someone told me to do one thing, I would always do the opposite. So if there was a message of like, oh, care about mm. this, care about fitness, I was like, nope. Don't eat Doritos. <laughs> yeah, then I was like, I'm going to eat Doritos. Kemi, how was that for you? <clears throat> I, I, I am amazed that Simone escaped the insecurities, the loathing, the tensions, the difficulties, the anxieties about body that I have always had. Um, and one of my goals as a mother was to instill a confidence and an acceptance and a love for her body, my daughter's bodies. And um, I don't know what I did. That's why I think a lot of it is inborn because I'm not a good model for positive self body love and positive self image. Um, working on it, as Jamie said, I, I am working on it and have been for years, but I, I just, as I'm just so happy and in awe of Simone's comfort level with her own body and what it does for her. I couldn't agree more, and yes, yeah, so beautifully said. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, thanks, oh Jamie. what a oh, moment! Great. I hope our moms are friends. I know. Because <laughs> I wonder I how did we how did we get that way? I mean, I actually think well, that part of it. We don't have to go into it now, but I do think that part of it was our generation. And that sounds funny because nowadays you hear kids say there's so much pressure to be thin and all of that. But I think there's a lot more acceptance of diversity nowadays than there was in my day, like Absolutely. having straight hair and having a, your body look exactly a certain way and having to be, I can name the models as I was growing up that I was supposed to look like or everyone was supposed to look Absolutely. like. Absolutely. And they were just a very small handful. Absolutely. Measuring collarbones. Right. And if you had not blonde hair or not blue eyes or, you know, certain cultural features, uh, that was already a huge strike against you. So I think that there is, it is actually nowadays perhaps more supported to be what, what you want to be, whatever an individual wants to be. Mm. Yeah, but I do remember the models and yearning for the, the clavicle, for the knobs and the clavicle and the mm. various... Um, body features. I remember, I think my refrigerator as I was growing up was covered with nothing but pictures of women's skinny thighs. I remember that taped up many of them straight out of 17 magazines, straight out of Vogue, wherever I saw them, I felt I had to put them up and aspire to that. Wow. Really? Yeah. That's really In the sixties and seventies, it was very skinny times. Very skinny. So you say you have this fuck you attitude. I know to bring it back to sex. Um, I do know, and I know that we as feminists and just as people, like we say, like, don't get your, your value or your worth from men or whatever. But I have to say that I was extremely lucky to have an incredible chain of lovers starting from actually a pretty young age who made me feel amazing about my body and made me feel loved and desirable and fuckable and hot and beautiful and cute and all of these things. And I found this and I'm so, and I, and I learned the more I talk to people that these are not experiences that are universal at all. But so, so maybe, 
maybe rather than you giving me, mommy, the, the confidence just on my own, I think that maybe you gave me the power to say, like, fuck off to a lover who doesn't treat me like that. Because I can't imagine that I'm just lucky and that I keep finding all these amazing people. Maybe, maybe you attract like that. If they don't make me feel mm-hmm. that way, I don't, I don't really stick around. That's so wonderful that you've had those experiences. I can't even tell you. And it's weird because I, I do try to figure out how that fits into the conversation of like driving our self-worth from men. Because that is a tricky spot. But I do know that like feeling so desired and so hot is like really empowering. And it used to be more like, I'll never find anybody who thinks, like, I remember when I kind of broke up with my first, with my high school boyfriend, the six foot six giant in question. <laughs> um, I was like, nobody's going to love me as much as he did. Nobody's going to think I'm as attractive. But guess what? It fucking happened. And then it happened again. And it keeps fucking happening, bitches. <laughs> well, that's marvelous. And it's so great to think that there's hope and that you have that experience. And hopefully, I hope Nicoletta does too, and other young women can. I, I do think that some of that stems back to the way that we're raised and the parental influence that we have early on. And I can only speak for myself, not empirically in that, but um, I was often told that I was too fat and and that I was ugly and, and too heavy. Um, I never met up to my father's physical standards for me, if you will, of being elegant and leaf and Twiggy-like or Audrey Hepburn-like or whoever was, you know, the person of the moment that I should look like. Mm. And so that always stuck with me. And I think part of the pattern that I repeated, completely the opposite of what you did, was seeking out people who thought that I wasn't good enough for and or who trying to... To prove your worth. To prove that I was maybe good enough or trying to feel that Mm. I could get the approval of, of somebody who maybe wasn't going to approve of me. And so that set me on a whole different course that didn't support the kind of positive and productive behaviors that you're talking about. I think I've had some of both experiences, for sure. Thanks for sharing, Mm -hmm. Mom. I mean, I think... Yeah, thank you both for being so vulnerable right now. This is fucking awesome. I know, it's so good. I don't know. I think I had both of those kinds of experiences. Um, I don't know where those came from, but I do agree, Simone, with what you're saying that, you know, we kind of attract what we put out there and what we're ready for. So if you were putting out there that you were requiring to be treated with a certain level of respect and appreciation, like that's what was coming in. Yeah. And by the way, I didn't mean to make it sound all about weight. It could be education level or, you know, religion. It could be so many different things. That's Not being enough. Right. That's the litmus Mm. test, if you will. Just being less than. Yeah. I have the opposite of that. I joke about this with my therapist that I have the opposite of body dysmorphia. (laughs) That like, I think I'm hotter than I actually am. No, you're very hot. You're very hot. Don't worry about that. I mean, I know, but I think I'm hotter than you think I am. Just throwing that out there. Well, that's spectacular. Everyone should feel well, that way. Speaking of that, we we love we love what we do, and obviously we speak openly about it. But I'm curious, um, Mom, what was what was your thought when I first told you I wanted to be in this field, or when I like said I'm having a sex podcast? Like, what did you think about that? Honestly, I was and am very happy for you and proud of you, whatever you do, sweetheart. 
um, in the furtherance of your career and your passion. So whatever you choose to do, I would want to try to support as best as, as I can and love it. And I'm very enthusiastic about it and, and thrilled and excited. She comes to my sex trivia and, nights. Yeah, I'm glad, so glad and grateful <laughs> to be a part of this. So thank you both for, for having us. And having yeah, Jamie and I co-attended your mindful masturbation lecture. Yes, it was great. And I, I enjoy all of it. And I'm also learning a lot. And I love having these experiences with you and watching you do something that you love. And that means so much. Um, my only concern or my main concern, I have to say, is how unfairly judgmental the outside world can be mm. and that mm. you girls, mm. both brilliant and very accomplished and hardworking and sincerely trying so hard to help others as well, that you not be maligned because people can be so close-minded and unaccepting and judgmental of anything that makes them feel uncomfortable or challenges narrow beliefs of what is socially permissible and like that uh, experience that you shared with me. Oh yeah, did I t- I told you about, about that the- Simone, right? I'll, I'll share it with our with our listeners and with you Kimmy. So I had a that friend not harm what you. a time you were stigmatized because yeah, of your so job. I, Which uh, yeah, time? well that kind of stuff too, but I I had recently an incident where I had a friend who got asked to be on this um, ABC family cooking show. Oh. Um, and they needed a friend to like come and do the video, like to um, nominate her for this like special thing that was going to happen. I won't, I won't give it away since it's not out yet, but they wanted her to be nominated for this thing and to interview me and to do it, you have to take a background check. And so I had told them before they did it, I said, just so you know, you know, I'm a sexologist and this is what I do. So that's going to come up. And they're like, oh, no, no, it's no problem. We're just looking to see if you like have had any felonies or murders or child molestation. And I'm like, well, I haven't had any of that. Um, So um, everything was good. And then I had filmed everything. I had done all the stuff and put in all this work. And then I get a call and they're like, actually, we can't use any of your footage because when we... Uh, Googled your name, you know, it came up with like sexually explicit material. Not of me, but you know, that I had like liked somebody's tweet who makes a porn. Yeah. Um, and that's not okay. And then you get oh, judged wow. or not allowed right. to have a job. Yeah. And so, so that's, I that's was, what worries me. I get that it's, you know, for, for technically a family, whatever thing, but someone would really have had to look. But then they were saying that they were aligning me with people who are, are convicted felons, pretty much. <laughs> wow. So they didn't let you on in the end? Nope. That's fucked up. Yeah, so I I mean, I get that concern. Simone, look at all that you have done and accomplished and law school, and you both work so hard and are so educated and sluts and scholars all the way, and that's exactly what I'm trying to say. It's just very unfair, Mm. and that concerns me. Mm, Not because of what you're doing, but because of the unfair response from the outside world. Potentially. Yeah. Ditto. Ditto. You've said it beautifully, Jamie. Um, I was thrilled. Tickled is probably not the right word to use. Uh-huh. <laughs> <I'm not> tickled. <laughs> tickled. <laughs> no, I was thrilled. Um, I think the name of the podcast is wonderful. Um, I Sometimes I wonder why you didn't say scholars and sluts, but I kind of know why. And it sounds better. It sounds better. <laughs> the, the the rhythm is better. And the rhythm is important. But um <laughs> I I'm proud. I'm very proud. And 
but but as has been said, I do worry about the world and the world's perceptions and mm. opinions because that's part of me too, is also wondering what people will think. Uh, something also I'm working on, something I'm glad that isn't one of your concerns. Hmm. I mean, it is a concern. Literally, I've only been in law school for a week and I can't even count the times that professors have said verbatim, this is a very conservative profession you're going into. (laughs) And so I'm just like, oh shit, like, is this going to be used against me? Like all of this stuff, because, you know, it's pretty obvious who I am. And so it's, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard line to tell, but I'm curious if, do, do either of you listen to the podcast? I've listened to, um, the great master debaters. I think I've listened to others, but not the whole, not in entirety. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be very honest, I haven't listened to it that much. That's okay. I was just curious if either of you had learned anything from listening. Because Jamie, do you listen? Yes, I do. I try to. It's just I get so busy with work and kids and those things. And then they um, come out and I don't get to spend as much time as I would like. But I love to hear about them. And personally, you're also I, not Nicoletta, the, to be our fair, moms don't care about Yeah, us. our moms don't love us, obviously. <laughs> our moms hate us. <laughs> no. We're just kidding. Well, no. also, you, you're not that great with technology. They don't care about anything we do. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm, My I'm, mom still gives me mixed CDs. Yeah, mommy, do you know how to listen <laughs> to a podcast? Really know how to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm not, unless someone does it for I me. I don't really know. So I have the people in the office help me yeah. to, to do it and um, to record those things. But I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't feel I any it. embarrassment or worry that somebody may judge me differently or something like that. I, I only worry that potentially doors might close that shouldn't mm. based on, on your value and inherent worth and, and brilliance and, and all of those yeah. things that would be so unfair. Well, let them close. <laughs> I'll break them down. Well, I hope that the times will change. And keep in accordance with the work that you're doing also. Thanks, Mom. So you brought up the name of the podcast, Sluts and Scholars. Um, I know Nicoletta and I have both uh, kind of shared our own stories with each other about how at a very young age, because of our sexual activity, we were called sluts by our peers. And I don't know if I remember, I don't really remember if I came to you about that or not. No, you didn't. And it would have broken my heart because I had the same label attached to me now and then. And it was so painful. It was the worst of the worst. And it was mostly brandished by other girls. Mm. And that's, it it just was sort of a talk about closed doors. It was like, well, you're not acceptable and we can't be friends with you. And such a, a vicious negative premium placed on sexual activity was um, worse than than my parents exuded. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's I mean, true for me too. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. I It would have broken my heart and I would have really had to think about how to help you with that because I would have been commiserating too closely almost. It would have been, it would have hit very close to home. So I didn't know you suffered that. Wow. I'm surprised I didn't tell you that. Did it bother wow. you or did it upset you? I mean, I was you? a little slut. But did it upset you when people would um, say that to you? It wasn't so much that it would upset me that I was called a slut. It was that, it was that people would take things that I was completely unashamed of 
and really happy that I got to experience. Like, I got fingered for the first time at a Green Day concert. Do you know this, Mom? Okay, well, you do now. <laughs> and, um, and that was in that was in eighth grade. And to me, that was like an exciting and pleasurable experience. And I was like, oh, I'm experiencing these things. And then like it got out that it happened. But I had not at all felt that I needed to keep it a secret. But then like everyone in my in my circle was like, oh, you're such a slut. Like you talk about this and then you go and do stuff like that. And so so it was more that I mean, I guess I didn't feel like I could tell you that because obviously you didn't know until now. But it was more like confusing and hurtful that my friends would take something that to me was really positive because I still didn't feel shame about it. I still did not feel bad for that experience. Even to this day, it's one of my favorite stories. Yeah. Um, and, and, but it was confusing to me that friends wouldn't be like, fuck yeah, I get it. Yeah. I Nick, actually, I didn't I had know an, was that. Well, no, I had an opposite. I think the, for me, the label came later more as I got into this field um, when I was younger, I actually was ridiculed for being prude, which is so interesting. Wow. So I remember I went to, I think I had a lot of friends at the time who were advanced. Remember like Tamira and that group of, of friends who were more advanced than I was. And I think I was very self-expressive with myself, but with other people, I think I was a little slower to start. Like I was obsessed with boys and would, you know, go to the park with my stuffed bra. Like my mom was talking about, like I really enjoyed that. Um, but I do remember being at a party where everyone was in the hot tub. I think this was in like fifth or sixth grade and everyone was playing truth or dare and kissing. And funny enough, Erica and I, who, <laughs> you know, has had, you know, a lot of fun, sexy times too. Um, we were sitting on the outside feeling like we were totally left out and like being prude. So for me, that label came later, which I think was good because it was at a time when I, could, I felt like I could push back against it, but I had my feelings hurt for being a prude. So it was like, you couldn't win. It was like the more advanced girls were the sluts. I was the prude. Like there was no way to, to come out on top. No, mm. yeah, no pun intended. Well, I'm sorry that you <laughs> had that happen at all. Yeah. I think for all the parents out there listening, like it's, I mean, I love you, mom. Kemi, you seem amazing and I love you too. And I think- you know, you've done such a wonderful job, but I want parents out there to know that like you're going to fuck up and there's definitely going to be things that like maybe you don't cover. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay. Oh, yeah. And like, look, you know, Simone and I, like we're, we're doing good. We've recovered. But I just, I have one memory in my mind where um, I remember the first time I got my period and how like terrifying that was. And I think I, I remember sitting on my floor with like my legs spread, trying to figure out how to put a tampon in because I hadn't had anything in there. Well, that was your first mistake. Yeah, first. And but mom, you had gotten sitting me those, those OB tampons without the applicator. And so having never had anything around there and no applicator, I do you remember I was on the phone with you and I was just like sweating and crying and you're on the phone trying to explain to me how to put it in and I just could not fucking figure it out. And like, it's, you know, I'm fine now. I've used a tampon since, but like I'm over it. But I want, you know, parents out there to know like you're gonna mess up and it's okay and just continue to have those conversations and those ongoing things and you can, you know, well, we'll be okay. You can get through it. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's a really good point too, Nicoletta, that um, at a certain point as parents, 
it's important to learn what my therapist helped me to learn is that we can't control everything, nor should we. And it's important for our children to make their own mistakes and to learn from them and to individuate from them and not feel sometimes when you were young, even when you had a young boyfriend, something I wanted to just go back and say earlier was that I was very interested and didn't discourage you. And I understood at a young age, having gone through it myself, that even a childhood crush can have the same weight. It's not like it's unimportant because Mm. you're young. You know, you still feel that love and that hurt. Mm -hmm. And I still remember a boy that I was crazy about at eight years old Mm -hmm. and how important that was to me then. So not minimizing that. But at the same time, I think I was often too invested even in your childhood romances because when you would get hurt, I would feel hurt and I'd be upset at the little boy who, you know, (laughs) threw sand or did this or that. So it's important as a parent, I think, for myself at least. my boyfriends did? That's how young I was? They were throwing sand? (laughs) Well... To try to individuate so that I could, you know, have Mm -hmm. more of a healthy distance, if you will, and let you live your own life. For me, though, I did want to add it was a lot easier to allow you to do those things because I really trusted you Mm -hmm. implicitly, Nicoletta. I had a very few ground rules. I felt that it was better to have fewer rules and really maintain those. and, And those were the big things that were really important to me, like at that time, you know, Mm, no hard drugs or safe sex or, you know, whatever the things were that were really important and then not to sweat the small stuff. And as long as you were open with me and I trusted you, I didn't invade your privacy. When you were young, we didn't have social media and all that, but I didn't rummage through your drawers. And I saw Simone a question about looking through nightstands and things and trying to find information. I, I didn't do that. And I really trusted you because I felt comfortable and confident that you would come to me if you needed help or, you know, if it were something that I could do something about. And otherwise, I think you created that space, though, because you did make it seem like things were okay and I could come talk to you. So the things that you did make rules and boundaries on, I did really respect versus like the friends I had whose parents were yeah. really strict. And everything was no. Yeah, like they couldn't talk to them about anything. The only time I think privacy was an issue is when you found out I was staying up till like four in the morning uh, sexting people in AOL chat rooms and you were worried for my safety. Well, <laughs> so you took the lock off my door. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was always about your physical safety, safety not driving yeah. after no, that was drinking. That was probably and, a good rule. <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing. But as long as those things were okay then we could find resolutions together. Yeah, like you let guys come over, you let us have the door closed, like... Well, I'd much rather, if you're going to be with boys, than be in our home where, you know, if you do need help, we're here or you're not out (laughs) and someone's drinking and driving and things like that. So, and you you never (laughs) did disobey me, if you will, that I knew of in, in those big ways. And you did come to me and therefore I wanted to give you more privacy and respect your space. Yeah. And your decision. That's interesting that you bring up the privacy. Um, I, I just one one word that keeps coming up is something that I was going to say also, and that is about respect. Um, I don't think you can have trust without respect. And I, I was brought up to say excuse me to the dogs when you stepped over them, and <laughs> maybe that was going too far. But my my mother really emphasized respect as part of love, and I felt that I had to give that to my kids. Mm -hmm. And I also knew that they needed a safe and private space. And that brings us to the nightstand drawer. I, I just didn't go into it. I often wondered. So all of us, so just for, to make it clear, 
So um, there's three children in my family and we all were given nightstands that had drawers. And my mother and father uh, assured us that they would never open it. Right. Um, now, there were other situations. I remember when I had a bunch of people over and Simone had left a handbag on the front hall table. And I did not know it was Simone's and looked inside for some identification and pulled out a condom and a pair of string underpants. <laughs> it's, a thong. it's a thong in America. A thong, right, it's a thong. And the group of people I was surrounded with just kind of looked like, <laughs> I remember that condom. That condom was a, condom was a strawberry-flavored condom yeah. that I'd gotten in eighth grade, and I had not even had penetrative sex at that point. I just carried it around, just in case. Like, <laughs> and uh, the string underwear was uncomfortable. We were about six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had to take it off. But where did you... So the idea for the nightstand drawer came kind of from your mother, or did you probably No, it probably came from my mother, but... Just to speak to the listeners, to the parents, I remember being very, very anxious with my first and second and third child. Um, how was I going to parent them? How was I going to help them grow into compassionate, kind, strong human beings? And I must have read a thousand books on parenting. And the one that I didn't read, but I didn't have to read it because the title was enough was by a noted psychologist, um, Bruno Bettelheim, and his title was A Good Enough Parent. And I loved that because it wasn't the best parent in the world and it wasn't the kids that were going to have resumes that got them into every school and every job they ever wanted. It was just being a good enough parent. And you were right, Nicoletta, there's no instruction manual. You're going to make mistakes. But, um, no, it's no dress rehearsal, but it's a pretty exciting ride. Mm. And I'm proud of both of you, very, very proud uh, and grateful and happy to have been to have shared this with you. What thank a wonderful you. place to end. We're all going to cry. Um, <laughs> thank you, Mom. Thank you for joining us. Um, it was, thank you, thank Mom. you both yeah. for thank having us. And Camille, it's so beautiful to thank you. hear you and, and your thoughts and the incredible ways that you've parented. And I'm sorry that I didn't read that book, but I second that that notion. So great. But I, it does seem like the big thing, that the big takeaway from this episode is give your kids privacy and they will come to you. Exactly. And I think that's... I think so. It's a bridge. Yeah. Mm. It's a bridge. It's yes. a bridge of respect, privacy, love, and positive strength. And then they'll come to you and because they want back to, over not that because they're afraid of they you. They have to. But I, I do think just to recap what you said earlier, Nicoletta, from the friends that you had when their parents made everything no, those are the ones who went underground and were doing it all. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing, and and I can't speak to, I don't know enough about social media, and I do read about so many kids out there who have these, you know, very dangerous experiences. But even though I was advised through therapists and books and things like that to read everything that my kids put on social media and, and monitor, you know, put all kinds of, I don't even know the words because I'm not very up on technology, but to put all those alarms and things on their systems, I, I didn't do it. I felt that I wanted to come from a place of trust. And I'm very grateful with all three of, of my children that mm. we do have that space of, of respect. I mean, I think it gives us a sense of agency that you trust us and that you've taught us and that we know how to handle ourselves in situations. And then when we don't, yeah. that we can come to you. And I remember like all my friends coming to talk to my mom. Yeah. 
Same. Like all my friends came to ask my mom about sex stuff too. Yeah, same. So yeah, it is something about <laughs> you, the two of you. Well, thank like, you I very much. I remember my thank friends you. like having crushes and like them being assholes. It was great. And they would talk to my mom and she would just like fix it. You go, Jamie. <laughs> you great. You too, Camille. I look forward to getting to meet and speak in person. And thank you both for having us. Well, mommies, our mommies, we love you. Thank to you. the other parents out there, we love you too. And if you want to follow what we're doing, remember to check us out on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, and feel free to email us with your questions and thoughts at slutsandscholars at gmail. And happy Labor Day, everyone, and make it a labor of love.